0: Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to another modernizer Die podcast, CFML News Edition. And I said welcome back because you should all be coming back every week.
1: You know, I didn't think people ever left Gavin. I thought when we go offline, they just sit just staring at YouTube waiting for us to come back.
0: Well I know Scott does, because he was here first.
1: So <laughs> it's like a like a dog with the front door when his owner's home. Just like, is he back yet? Is he back yet?
0: Yep, exactly. Okay. For those who don't know, uh, I'm joined today by Brad Wood, software consultant for Water Solutions, and I'm Gavin Picken. I'm also a software consultant, unfortunately. <laughs> Don't worry, Brad. We get some time off soon, maybe, sort of. But uh oh, I guess we get some special stuff coming up. Is Santa Claus gonna be on? Maybe, maybe. Or as Tigger says <laughs> Sandy Claus. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, let's thank our sponsor, Order Solutions. Uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to make this podcast. So, thank mm-hmm. you, Orders. One way you can say thank you back to Order Solutions <coughs> is supporting some of our um, products. And one of them is CF Cast, which releases new, free, and paid content every week. And right now we've actually got two series being released: uh, the ColdBox Zero to Hero training series uh, that I uh, I trained a lot of people on this year. We made that uh, a video series and is on on the site. And also we have a uh, 12 modules of ForgeBox Christmas being released right now. So uh, we we like to do this little series every year. Usually it's a, a blog series, but this time we've gone video. So uh, you can check that out on cfcast.com. And again, we've gone crazy. Free and crazy paid crazy. content Yep, and then we also have our Patreon supporters that now are providing sixty-one percent of the funding for this podcast. So, what? yep, thanks to a an up by John Wilson, he upped his plan, uh, and now we're over the sixty percent mark, which I think this might be the highest we've actually been at any point. So, uh,
1: it's the highest I can recall.
0: Yep, so we have. 33 patrons right now providing 61% of the funding and you can find out more at patreon.com slash order solutions, but thank you guys. And we'll thank you more at the end of the show. Okay. So now we can talk about, in fact, a I little think, news.
1: Uh, I think Gavin's actually prepared a little song. He's going to sing in thanks. Wasn't that, is that correct?
0: Uh, you're the musical one.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, I do have the <laughs> guitar over here next to me. So
0: see what I can work on. Uh, Yeah, Bradwood is similar to Plywood, Scott asked. Well, he does have a lot of layers, and he's pretty (laughs) dense. (laughs) Like ogres and onions. Yep, exactly. Okay, so some podcast news for you. Uh, As we mentioned, uh, there might be a special guest for our next episode. December 22nd, our 84th episode, our Christmas edition this year, has a mystery guest. And I'm not sure... When we'll tell you, if we'll tell you, or if you just have to shop and see who it is. But it's someone in the community, someone you know, and uh, it's not someone who's been on this podcast before. So that rules out a few people. Mm. Um, so we're going to mix it up. We don't have to just do special guests at Christmas time. We can do special guests other times too, but we want to give you a little Christmas cheer. I know last year everyone really liked Ben Adele coming on and doing that. So, But I'll give you a hint. It's not Ben this year. It's someone else.
1: It's going to be.
0: Yeah, I know I've got a lot of big shoes to live up to. Uh, big weights to carry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I see what you did there.
0: I know. Sorry, I'm a little <laughs> crazy today. For those of you who don't
1: know, Ben the Dell
0: used to always be big into working out and have big old, like, guns, so. Yeah, he does, Uh, on his Twitter feed, he has some posts of him doing deadlifts and stuff. The funny thing is, he doesn't wear shoes when he does it so i've never noticed that yeah well you may. so you don't even read his tweets unless they're software related i guess see i'm not a true fan brad
1: i only (laughs) follow keywords on twitter i use Uh, hootsuite and i have a i have columns for each keyword and if you tweet it i don't see it unless it has cold fusion lucy cfml test box cold box command box one of those words if it doesn't have that i don't see it Oh. So, yeah. So, I, I'll see tweets of Ben, but only if it mentions something I care about. <laughs> oh, okay. Otherwise, I don't pay any attention to him. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. not sorry.
0: Yeah. Well, sp- speaking about things we care about, um, dates have been <clears throat> a big thing lately. Um Scott on Stein, dates? Bit- well, I'm not going on dates. We can't do that. Um, but date comparisons. <laughs> So compared to our old dates, uh, they're all terrible. But no, date comparisons and the engines. And so we've been talking about the new mask and the update from Adobe for CF 2021. The new and, mask of Zorro. Yep, and how Scott Steinbeck had a regex that he posted <clears> and we shared in last week's show notes for fixing that. But James Moberg's also been reviewing date comparisons because mm-hmm. um, he's been looking at the Lucy syntax notes and how dates are basically compared, etc., so, yeah.
1: so Charlie pointed out to me that I think I had said something incorrectly on last week's podcast. I don't think he was there live, but he had watched it after the fact. Um, when I was on the the online meetup last week before we got started, he mentioned to me that um, we had talked about how there's a, a hot fix for 2021 to be able to change the date behavior, um, and I think I had incorrectly stated that the hotfix would revert it back to the old behavior and then you had to opt into the new behavior. But I was apparently I was wrong about that. It's actually the opposite. Even with the hotfix, you still get the new breaking behavior. The hotfix only gives you the option to opt out of it. So that's a little bit different than I think I had said at one point, which means you can't just throw the hotfix on and be like, there, I'm done. You have to throw the hotfix on and add the JVM arg and then the planet swole line and you'll be able to get the old behavior back. So apologies if I led people astray on that. Charlie put me
0: back in the straight and narrow. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, We did obviously share the little uh, note and Charlie's uh, blog post has lots of details. So if you read along, you'll be good. Yeah, and Charlie just confirmed in the chat, yes, by adding the JVM arg along with dropping in the jar. There you go. Thanks, Charlie. So. Back to what James Moberg was talking about with uh, the date comparisons. Uh, he discovered that some Adobe Cold Fusion inconsistencies where true comparisons are false, depending on the version used. And he actually has a gist for this, so I'm gonna pull up the share screen for those watching at home. Um, so he has a bit of code here, so we're just gonna run it. But apparently, uh, depending on the version you run, uh, these date comparisons may show up true or false, depending on the version. So, um, on try cf you'll get true if you're running Cold Fusion 2016, Lucy 5, 4, 5, or Raylo. But if you're running, you'll get a false if you're running ColdFusion 10, 11, 18, or twenty twenty one. uh CF-10 doesn't support ISO dates. So basically 1 slash 2 slash 1999 is, you know, or past date time, different results. And then we'll see a fiddle. Obviously we only have 16, 20, and 18. You get true with 16 or, or 20, but false when 2018. So I don't know why try CF's 2020 shows false here, but it shows true on CF Fiddle, unless they're running different versions.
1: Yeah, unless they're in a different update level.
0: Huh. Yeah. So just some weird inconsistencies, um, you know, like asking, is this date the same as this? And I, I always wonder if it's something to do with the, um, you know, the. The ISO, well not ISO, even just the, the locality too, like is this 1st of January or is always it? always
1: been, well that's a good question if the locality could affect it. Day yeah. Parson's has always sort of been, I don't want to say an Achilles heel, but just like a really annoying part of Cold Fusion because it always has these little like crazy wacko edge cases that you didn't see coming. Um, and it, I think it's because it tries to be so darn helpful. You know, Cold Fusion and whatever Java libraries that we use will just kind of bend over backwards to parse just anything imaginable into a date. Um, Isn't twenty four you know, a
0: date? This like maybe. some random integer and, that it become dates too. And
1: yeah, you know, and it's and it's trying to be helpful <laughs> by, by supporting all these formats, but it's it's sort of to the point where like you, I I don't really even know of like a comprehensive documentation that really covers every possible thing that Cold Fusion will turn into a date. I'm not really aware of that. I know things that James Moberg has done where they find these edge cases. And of course, Adobe ColdFusion being closed source is not even a way to go look at that code and see what it does publicly. Um, yes, yeah, so you end up with these crazy behaviors where out of the blue, you know, like a, a decimal or an integer value, like you said, is like, oh, that's a date in ColdFusion.
0: Um yeah, because some weird edge case where someone says, well, if I'm doing, like, AM and PM or... Yeah, yeah and- somewhere,
1: somebody said, well, I think that should be a date. And ColdFusion was like, okay, we'll put on the code for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. So, And the weird thing is, too, if you do it is date and is past date, uh, do the past date time, that's not always exactly the same. And uh, there's some <laughs> weird edge cases... I'm we'll sure they use some that. different
1: libraries behind the scenes that probably don't have all the same edge cases in no, place. They're just slightly different, I've found. And it well, be interesting depends on the version, It would be interesting to try to get a document that covered all of the the rules of what can be considered date. I, I'm really curious if that exists somewhere. I've never come across it. Maybe it's buried somewhere in the Adobe Docs. I bet you a dollar Lucy doesn't have anything like that. Lucy's probably just implemented whatever random edge cases have been shoved into the Lucy ticket tracker over the years. Adobe does this. Okay, we'll add that one in.
0: Yeah. Well, for most of them, unless they think it's stupid, right? Usually they f- they follow compatibility to the point of, no, that's stupid.
1: <laughs> yeah, Lucy will follow Adobe's lead unless they think it's exceedingly stupid. And they're like, no, we're not doing that one. Yeah.
0: Which <laughs> and, is good. I mean, <laughs> it,
1: the and on, the note, on that note, I mean, you and I have hit some things where Lucy said, no, we're not doing that. And that was, um, if you don't use an explicit date function, but in, in Adobe Confusion, you have like an if statement. And you say, if and you compare uh, two strings as a date, or a date and a string, um, Adobe Fusion will try to parse those strings into dates to do a date comparison if it can. Um, Lucy will not. It will not auto-parse strings into dates just to see if, by chance, these are a date. If it's a string, it'll be like, all right, I'm doing a string comparison, which can be tricky, because some dates can like a greater than less than kind of comparison may look like it's working correctly just because the strings happen to sort in that direction, but it won't be a true date comparison. And you and I have had to write code check rules and go through code bases converting to Lucy and change all of those into proper like date diff. So you have to tell the you know, tell Lucy, no, this is a date. Um, but yeah. I mean, Lucy's Lucy's reason on that wasn't because it was quote stupid. It was well it's performance you know, yeah. a lot of overhead and checking every single string you ever come across in the comparison to say, hey, is the string a date? So it's understandable. But uh yeah, that can definitely bite you when you're moving between engines.
0: Yeah, for sure. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Just uh, a reminder that, yeah, check your dates. And yeah, it'd be nice to have a big test suite with all the possible different date things that we could see and run on different engines. I guess it'd be interesting to see what what flew as charlie said we could probably do something like that but even if there were all those variations would be mind bending and that's true but i wonder if we did attack it from like a you know a test perspective we'd run the test in a matrix and see what passes and fails and could be interesting but then of course you still have to compare them all but i don't know interesting anyway i just thought i'd bring it to everyone's attention because that seemed like a pretty basic one but james if you're listening uh do you want to check and see if the it is a month day thing where it's, you know, is it January 2nd or is it February 1st? Because obviously English dates, American dates, etc. Uh, that's always the first thing I check with <laughs> dates. Okay. So next up, a uh, little bit of other side news here. So we've got a, a blog post from Jason Steinhauser, Steinhauer um, talking about CFML development with GitHub's code spaces. So uh it's a pretty good looking blog post talking about uh this feature GitHub announced a while back uh about their beta of code spaces and basically what it lets you do is sort of get up and running with everything you need for working on a project all inside your browser. And so he's walked through the process of getting it set up of Cold Fusion. Uh, it uses containers. It has a like a code editor, basically it's VS Code editor right inside the uh, the environment for you, um, but. It's pretty cool. So we talked about um, trying to get support for Codebox for this. So if somebody wants to, you know, help with Codebox or another one of our open source projects, instead of having to, like, install all the dependencies and do everything on their local machine and everything, they could theoretically uh, get it started up with code spaces in their browser, make the changes, run the tests, and then, you know, commit the code, all without having to do anything other than a browser. They wouldn't even have to install Commandbox, blasphemy as it is. Uh, they can hmm. do that so that's pretty cool do you remember when the cloud nine site i think it was called had came out yep aws bought them so that's part of oh, the really AWS now yep
1: because okay because there had been a bit of a push to try to figure out how to get CFML on there um but unfortunately it kind of boiled down to it would take some of that to sit down and spend time on it and there weren't enough people that actually cared enough to do it i had looked into it but i didn't have the time to spend on it and it never really gone anywhere um I like the fact that it sounds like it's kind of centering around Docker a bit more, which I think makes it easier in that regard. I think when cloud Nine first first came out, I don't think Docker was really in the picture as much. I'm trying to remember when that was.
0: No. Yeah. I remember it for quite a while ago. Because it used
1: Atom, I believe, as the, as the editor.
0: Yeah. I, I know we we did that at our JavaScript group. We would set up stuff in there for people to, to try things out and, and whatnot. And it was a good little tool and like I said I think that's why AWS includes it now into some of their tools. I believe. Maybe someone can correct me. Um but yeah, it's it's a pretty nice little tool. And this one's based off of but, you know, VS Code. The good thing about that is it has a uh, the editor can be used inside of a browser. You can use themes and you know extensions and all that right inside your browser. So um uh, I think they're tapping into that and it's currently free for beta but limited to just two instances it looks like it's going to be a paid option but i know they have some open source options too so i know that we've talked about looking to this more but uh it's pretty cool so it might be something you need to pay for but i know a lot of people are working towards uh like aws workstations and a lot of the you know sort of thin client stuff where all the work is done on a vm somewhere else so this is basically all done in, in your browser with a a docker vm hidden off sort of scene so it's kind of interesting so uh, I thought it was a good one to to check out and it deserves a little more spotlight than just a traditional blog post there so I know that's I, pretty
1: cool yeah and th- thanks a lot Jason if you're listening to this to for putting the, some effort into this i'm I'm sitting here trying to decide um what it would take to get this as like an out of the box option you can choose or if that's actually offered with code spaces.
0: Yeah, I mean I think you just add a couple of uh sites to your um sorry not a couple of sites. Add a couple of pages uh configuration to your your repo essentially and then anyone who wants to use it can use it. So you put in your default configuration uh <coughs> and it starts up. So but that was from the I presentations like I saw. Uh, I didn't I haven't seen all the GitHub universe things yet. They, they talked about Codespace a little bit. I wanted to try and watch a session or two on that. So I might have to check out the recordings and find out more. But Keep an eye on that. Yeah, for sure. So thanks, Jason. And in case you missed it, Mr. Brad Wood over there, uh, did a session last week with Charlie. You want to tell us a little more about how that went? And
1: No. If you, if you okay. didn't listen to it live, then... <laughs> That's on you, man.
0: Or well, we can go watch the YouTube recording because we have the link oh, for that. You
1: ruined it. It's a YouTube recording. Yep. Yeah. So I was on the ColdFusion Online Meetup. Uh, my topic was using Command Box CLI to manage all your servers. So it was sort of a soft introduction to the CLI that uh, hopefully doesn't suck as much as other CLIs. <laughs> um, how to use it and how to use it to manage all your servers—Lucy uh, servers, Adobe servers. We covered CF Config, Host Updater, dotmv. Um, handful of things. And so yeah, Charlie has that meeting recorded. Um, if you want access to the slides, the slides I used are on SlideShare because I've done this presentation before. But if you ping me on Twitter or Slack, I can also make sure you, you get a link to the slides as well. Charlie said meetup.com doesn't really have a great uh, mechanism for posting those slides, so I can help you find them if you'd like.
0: You maybe put them in the YouTube uh Link if you give it to him. Uh, Charlie
1: had actually suggested that to me and I hadn't done it yet Which was adding a comment to the YouTube video because you're right this Okay. Uh, in fact, why don't I just do that now while I'm thinking about it. Yep. Oh, the iron is
0: hot Okay, and then um, just another couple of in case you missed it Advent of Code 2020 is still going on at adventofcode.com slash 2020 So some cool little puzzles there a little festive holiday season um, do some puzzles and well, multitude of languages any way you want. Um, and the CF, CFML Slack channel has a, um, a Puzzles, I believe, channel set up for that. So if you want to see other people and see how they're solving it and what they're solving it in, uh, look at it. Um, yeah, and most of them are made to be pretty pretty simple for the first one of the day and then a little more complicated for the second one of the day. And there's basically one a day until Christmas, I believe. Or two two a day until Christmas. So we can go back and catch up, and then also um, we have a a blog post uh, or sorry a forum post about Century IO trying to get CFML listed in in Century IO in the right place with a little icon and all that. So we have a sh- a link in the show notes. So go vote on that if you haven't already, and hopefully we can make some I don't noise. I
1: think anybody replied. Cause I commented on that ticket during our show last week, and yeah, unfortunately nobody else chimed
0: in anymore so please go do that it does help if we have a little a little noise going on there okay so next up our cfcast update so as i mentioned in our sponsor section uh cfcast has some great content out this week so right now 12 modules of forgebox currently we have two videos already and there's gonna be one a day released until christmas so we're gonna have 12 amazing modules uh, from forgebox listed one a day so that's uh, one of the series going on right now, and has a few videos out. And the ColdBox Zero to Hero Workshop has six videos posted already. Sorry, sorry, 20 videos posted already. Six hands-on with step-by-step instructions. And then we're releasing those every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's going to go all the way until 2021. So we've got stuff till the end of the month. I think the first of... Um, yeah, I think even into the first of the year. So... Pretty cool. Let me share screen here. So you can see there's a, a lot of content here. So we got hands on information as well. So a lot of good content in there. And then if we go to the CFcast homepage, you'll see the 12 modules of ForgeBox Christmas as well. And oh, the third one just been it, published this morning. So there's now three. So go check those out. And like I said the other nine will be coming very soon.
1: And are those free content, or do you need to be a subscriber of CFcast to see those?
0: So the 12 modules of Forgebox Christmas are free. The Coldbox Zero to Hero workshop is paid. You can either just purchase the, uh, the training workshop by itself, or you can become a subscriber, and if you're a subscriber, you get access to that as well. So, um, But we, we do try and give you a mix of free and paid content, and so... Uh, sign up is is easy just need an email address basically uh, and then get into the system and watch those videos excellent okay up next is conferences and training so the three-week AWS reinvent conference is almost over can't believe it's still another week's worth of content so uh, Amazon's premium conference uh, is virtual it's free and it's into the third week now a lot of those sessions are uh, pre-recorded available on demand so if you've missed any you can go look at those Uh, a lot of a lot of great content there from a great uh, number of community members and aws uh, engineers as well so you can get that at com. and again this is usually a high high profile high, high paid uh conference so make the most of it during these COVID times and uh, get some good homeschool. Um, also, I want to remind you the Adobe Cold Fusion certification is online. Uh, it's available still on, on the introductory offer. So you can, uh, <laughs> the, the I don't know when... Introductory
1: offer that just keeps introducing.
0: Yep, so you can uh, go register for that at uh, adobe.com slash products slash family slash certificate. <clears throat> Link is in the show notes and on the chat. Um, If you want to find out more about it and it's got 50 plus videos, I think it's about 10 to 15 hours of content and there's a multiple choice quiz at the end. For those who didn't know, uh, in case you missed it, GitHub Universe was last week. So I actually watched a few of these episodes and now all 70 talks uh, over those three days are available on demand. So, 70
1: talks in yep. three days.
0: Yeah. They had four channels. That's uh, it, a
1: veritable 23 and one third talks per day.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of good content there. Uh, yeah, a lot of things. Um, but if you go to githubuniverse.com, you can check out all the sessions, watch the videos. Um, and they did break it down to four different channels, which is pretty cool too. So they had the play stuff, which is kind of like, uh, you know, raspberry Pis and things like that. and, and, the Dev stuff, uh, more about code spaces, and that's what I really want you to go check out is find out more about these code spaces. They're pretty cool. Um, they had a lot of good features they announced in the keynote too. So, if you want to keep up on GitHub and what they're doing, um, it's definitely worth watching. So, all free content available at your fingertips. So, also in case you missed it, Pete uh, from Foundeo had his security training last week so uh we haven't heard anything about the training uh if if it went well how many people etc but um there are options if you missed it there is an on-demand video series available as well so he has that from a previous year's recording so um that's still available on the site and i know pete does this a few times a year now um online and he does it in person when when that's possible but uh, you can always ask about the next time he plans to do it too if you're looking at doing that or on-demand videos so i know we love having pete at l into the box conference so uh, always a great trainer good presenter so and just you know really helpful in the community too so support your pete <laughs> support your local pete okay well that's it for our conferences and training section so let's get into the blogs tweets and videos of the week so First up, we had one from Will De Bruin. And so he was talking about how Pete saved the day on this one as well, actually. (laughs) So good timing. Um, So basically uh, we have some documentation on setting up the search engine friendly SES URLs uh, for the call box router uh, with Nginx. And that works great. You can have uh, a pretty URL like the one here versus the one that has the, you know, Grishama uh and everything in the URL he said though when he tried to switch over to using Apache, the documentation we had didn't work um and so he went through uh was trying to get it working and then Pete jumped in and uh, and helped him, and you put him on the right track here so this if you guys are using Apache in front of coldbox and maybe the rules aren't working quite as uh, as expected um this blog post should help you with that uh knowing will he's probably already got a pull request in the documentation because he's uh, always contributes back to to us here at order so we appreciate all that but it's thanks, a good blog Bill. post uh a good blog post for for all that information so <laughs> so yeah and again uh you know pete freitag always there to help so thanks pete okay now have you ever tried to implement octa brad
1: um i have not implemented octa but you have worked on a client with me that used octa they had an implementation um for their single sign-on
0: yep and that is not an easy thing to get set up i know we're working on it for another (laughs) client and one of our developers uh is pulling his hair out
1: (laughs) I i remember it being complicated just using the existing implementation that that client you and i had worked on i can't imagine how much work it was to actually get it going yeah, is a pretty big company Like, I usually run into an Octa booth every year at DevNexus when they actually have it in person. Yep. So I hear about them regularly.
0: Yeah. Well, Andy Peterson blogged about how the new Adobe Cold Fusion 2021 makes that pretty painless. <clears throat> so, and basically, he thinks that the first thing that they decided to do with Adobe 2021 was to basically make sure Okta worked. And he says they did a pretty good job of it. So,. This blog post walks you through the, you know, the configuration, uh, shows you, th- I really like his blog post, how he's how detailed he is. So he has all screenshots and descriptions of what should go where and and spells it all out. So if you guys are looking at Okta and you're using Adobe, uh, maybe 2021, uh, this has some pretty neat little walkthrough and get an idea of how it might work for you. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. know that uh, Adobe's got a lot of cool features like this and we've got quite a few blog posts about them this week so this is
1: definitely part of the no niche isn't the right word um niche but I mean this is the the enterprise portion of Adobe that you don't get with Lucy I know I like to love on Lucy a lot but um I don't necessarily expect Lucy will probably ever integrate anything like this so definitely kudos to Adobe kind of pushing the the enterprise stuff that they offer which in my opinion I think can, can justify the price that they have these integrations that come out of the box. Um, you know, we have open source free Lucy, but they're not really looking at doing enterprise integrations like SAML. So good in Adobe for that. I'm glad to see uh, I'm glad to see them adding value there that you know when they add something, you're like, oh yeah, it's been in PHP for seven years, then it's not like I'm gonna pay money for that. But I think those enterprise integrations are really sort of a sweet spot of like companies will pay money to save themselves you know, a lot of development in that area. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> we have a couple of blog posts about that soon. We'll see some more of that of value there.
1: Yeah, and Charlie, just, I just clarified in the chat, when I say enterprise, I don't mean the enterprise edition. I just mean an enterprise class feature. As Charlie just pointed out, you can still use what you were showing in a standard edition of ColdFusion, which is a very good thing to note.
0: Yep, for sure okay let's jump into ben blog post on using java's concurrent queues for asynchronous programming in Lucy cfml so this one started a little uh tweet uh thread here so we'll show that in a minute too but um he's basically talking about asynchronous programming and how he's kind of uh, been fascinated with it uh, lately and he did mention there's a healthy tension between complexity, performance, stability, and availability. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was a uh, good term to rem- remind yourself, too, because, yeah, you can get more performance using threads and asynchronous programming, but it does get a little more complex. Um, but, yeah, so he was talking about the uh, these concurrent queues th- uh, in, in Java. And basically, how that uses locking and everything. And of course, we can do it in Cold Fusion. Uh, And there has been occasions where people have done it in Cold Fusion. We'll talk about that in a minute too. So he was basically walking through his process. And I know I I always say this, but I really like Ben's process. You know, like he really does break things down. And if you're wanting to understand it, and that's his goal with all these blog posts, is to get a better understanding of the language and not just use something blindly. And so. Uh, you know, mm. he, he creates abstract classes and subclasses. And, uh, you know, these are some good service objects that extend other objects. And so he walks through it. I'm not going to go through it because obviously there's a lot of details in here, but uh, a really good blog post. And then, as I mentioned, there was some tweets and of course you responded and a few others because he had the right keyword in that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yep, one of Yep. And so, you know, he this is his blog post and of course, you're like dude you've got to check out the async manager in coldbox so yeah so obviously uh, asynchronous program is pretty important to us at cold uh, with for coldbox and everything and so Luis has done a ton of work with that right with uh yeah um,
1: CB futures as he calls it yep um but yeah a lot of we we're using it all over the coldbox core now um for instance like the the console or the file loggers in coldbox. Um, instead of just writing directly to a file and you know the request waiting for that write to happen. for a while, we used to just kind of spin off the write inside of a thread, but you would still have the issue of a thousand logs being a thousand times the file gets open and closed. Now Colbox uses the async async manager, which is just a wrapper around all the great java, the the JDK functionality that Ben's been poking at. And you know the the file appender in Colbox just spins up like a daemon thread that just runs as a little, you know, thing in the background and then stuff gets chucked into an internal queue and it all just gets like batched out to the files. It's really optimized. Um, but yeah, I was telling Ben, I was like, dude, like you're, you're, you're right. This is really cool. But like, <laughs> look at some of the stuff Like we've already done a bunch of this work in a solid side of the async manager. And a, a note on this, if you're thinking, gosh, I don't use ColdBox. box. Um, it's important to note that the async manager stuff in ColdBox six is part of the core libraries that also are part of WireBox, LogBox, and CacheBox. So even if you just drop like WireBox into a legacy app or a Framework One app or a non colbox app, you get the full Async Manager. You don't have to be full-on Colbox MVC to use it. So don't don't let that dissuade you if you're like, yeah, we don't use the Colbox framework. Um, if you want to play around with all Luis's Async Manager goodness, you can just drop in WireBox or something, which the super tiny library and it's still baked in there. Anyway.
0: That's pretty cool. I didn't I didn't think about that. So yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean Ben's right. This stuff is is just fun to play with. And it's amazing the kind of performance you can get when you start messing with some of the stuff. I mean um I get so much mileage just out of the the Lucy, you know, array each and you can just say async or parallel equals true. You know, and it gives you a little thread pool of 20 threads. Um I used that like twice this last week in some client work where I needed to loop over like a thousand things and do something and I'm like uh, it takes like 10 seconds. I'm like, wait a minute. I can async this. It takes a second. Like, yes. Quick win. You know, yeah, so for sure, asynchronous stuff is just fun. Yeah. Um, but like Ben said, I mean, it, it can always complicate stuff. You know, all of a sudden you have to worry about thread safety and locking. So.
0: Yep. And that's, it's- well, that's kind of nice to have a library that that does that for you and take some of it out of it. <laughs> And then uh, Pixelate exactly. also said they've been doing it for a while and they have a CF concurrency or a CF... Component. Yeah,
1: Dom Watson has done a ton of stuff. And in fact, Dom Watson's stuff actually predates Luis's async manager. Um, I just don't know if it's as reusable, but they have a, some really cool concurrent stuff. Uh, the Preside CMS basically rewrote their own like like task scheduler um, inside of their CMS because they didn't want to use the one that was built into Lucy. They wanted to do it a little bit better and more configurable. And it uses this, the concurrent classes in Java to have these like daemon threads that run. It's, it's pretty impressive what, what Dom's done there as well.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, Luis talked with Dom too when he was doing some of the async manager and, you know, touching base because we know we'd seen some of that stuff. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. but pretty cool. And it, Ben has a few more uh, asynchronous related uh, blog posts coming up here too. Oh, yeah. And of course, we always sh- tell you the latest first. So, a lot of times this, we give it to you in reverse order. So, that's why it's a little <laughs> weird. I've thought about changing it sometimes, but it's like, no, we want to show the most recent news first. But most in a blog recent. series, it's backwards. So, but uh, Andy has another blog post. So, zero to serverless in CFML in 20 minutes. He says it was more like 10. So, this oh, is pretty ooh. cool. So, yeah, if you want to get up and running with CFML serverless. Oh, look, um, AWS Cloud 9. Yep, exactly. We I knew I'd seen it somewhere. Them. <laughs> yeah, so um if you're setting up a, a Lambda or whatever, the, I think the Cloud9 is the editor is what you use. But um so yeah, he's been working in twenty minutes into this ninety minute session by uh, Paul Kluxio of Amazon Web Services. He's watching CFML run on his AWS. Uh, he says basically watched the video for twenty minutes but it took him less than ten to get up and running. Uh, so this little blog post will walk you through that. So you set up your name and environment. You set up your environment settings here. Yep, and there's a cloud nine uh, basically for it.
1: Just combining
0: and so, Fuseless
1: with it. Yeah, nice.
0: So he shows you all the different stuff. But yeah, list, thanks again to Pete, busy man today. Uh, I was
1: talking to Pete about Fuseless the other day. Did I did I talk to you, Gavin, about that announcement that it came out a few weeks back? And I don't forget if I forget if we talked about it on here or not. Um, the the AWS Lambda stuff is um, improving. this and I only sort of vaguely understand how it all works to begin with, but there was some announcements that they were improving support to be able to use like an entire Docker container up to like ten gigs or something pretty huge to be able to deploy on Lambda. Yeah, and um, we
0: talked about what we could do with Minibox now.
1: Exactly, yeah, because that was always one of the sort of big constraints of Lambda is you're only allowed like a couple hundred megs or something, Um and it's really hard to package a CF engine and Java and everything inside of that. In um, in Fuseless, um, you know, kind of uh, has a very lightweight version of Lucy that it uses. But yeah, there the was really kind of opened up some interesting ideas of being able to take the the mini box image that Pete Freitag has, which is command box the azul uh jdk if i recall and it's like 77 megs for the entire thing be able to somehow deploy that to lambda I'd, I'd love to play with that it's just unfortunately right now it's on the bucket of things that takes a little bit more time than i have free time sitting around
0: <laughs> yeah for sure and so if that you want to
1: pay me to play with that you call up Ortis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that uh that, that video by Paul is on the Mid-Michigan Cold Fusion user group. And so that blog post has links to, to that, also has information about Fuseless and a lot of the other tools inside of that too. So um, yeah, that, yeah. And so that's where Charlie's saying at AWS, reinvent the announce they'll, but accept any use, except use of containers and any for Lambda's and serverless. So, yeah. yeah so that's be pretty cool. awesome. I mean, and we're,
1: we're already doing this with some of our clients. Like I've talked about where I wrap up a command box task runner inside of a mini box container. And right now we just use Docker swarm. We can just chuck it out. there as like a scheduled task, you know, spins up the container, runs a command box, task runner, database calls, HTTP, whatever spins down. I, I love the idea of being able to take that concept and just, do it on Lambda, you know, something that just spins up out there. I think the big question, of course, is like startup times and all that nonsense, but.
0: Yeah, I know that they stay alive for so long, but. Yeah,
1: that's what Pete and I had actually been talking about, was just how long do they stay alive? Because if you had a job that you wanted to run regularly enough that the container would always stay running, um, you only get charged for when, you know, something comes into run. You don't get charged when it's sitting there idle. Um, That could actually work out pretty well. Uh, Otherwise, you have about a 10- 15 second, depending on the CPU startup time. Um, you know, if you want to spin up like a full command box task runner. So maybe a little bit faster, it just depends, but yeah, anyway, yeah. I totally want to play with all that. I'm excited about it. I just don't have the free time.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know. And Charlie said that you'll have to add some code, uh, whatever's running the container to leverage the Lambda API or whatever. So not as simple as Right. Them, I yeah. Hope, and I've, still. I've
1: read into quite a bit of the docs, Charlie. That's actually what Pete and I were talking about, um, Unfortunately, the more their docs I read on the Lambda API, like the more questions came up, like, well, what the heck? How does this work? How does this work? How does this work? Um, But yeah, I I am aware of the the Lambda API and it seems like it's simple, but then it's like, well, geez, every time I think it's simple, I find another page of like complications. I'm like, oh, well, I have to think about that as well. But (laughs) yeah, so
0: definitely you want to play and figure it out for sure. So Which is why
1: we need a client to come hire Ortis to pay me to play with this. And then yeah. I will release it as open source.
0: <laughs> yeah. Obviously. but uh, <laughs>
1: Obviously. Alright, moving on, moving on.
0: Yep. So, uh, as I mentioned, there's a couple more from Ben. And so I'll do them in order because they're right next to each other. So, the first one is, it's experimenting with tail recursion using CF Thread and Lucy. So, uh, I historically... I saw him
1: blog this, and I did not actually read it.
0: So... Historically, said Adobe ColdFusion, CF threads cannot spawn more threads. But in Lucy, you can have deeply nested CF thread tags. So. Oh,
1: yeah. And I've always hated that limitation because that always caused problems for us in ColdBox land because we wanted to have like generic file appenders that just kick off stuff in a thread. And then all of a sudden, you try to log something from inside of a thread, and Adobe Fusion was like, you can't do that. You know, and Lucy's always like, yeah, sure, why not? yeah of course you can do it
0: (laughs) yeah and so this one here he's this is where he starts experimenting with tail recursion and so basically you know the thread starts and at the end of it you sort of you know you're going to start another thread and so basically you know the 10th thread starts the 9th starts the 8th starts the 7th and so it just spins out and so you can just keep going down and so yeah you can call i don't know how many but uh basically you can continue going through so in his one here he was just doing a reduction with it, a simple you know option but as he mentions see if threads are not free uh, so there's a couple of quirks in the processing <laughs> where sometimes when you uh spawn them i know there was some issues where it was basically cloning yeah cloning the overheads uh it was doing some request cloning etc so hopefully they're fixing yeah. them in the new version lucy's um,
1: done a handful of uh of changes recently that apply to the sort of overhead that happens every time a thread gets copied. Um, I don't know much about how Adobe Cold Fusion handles it, but inside of Lucy, the entire page context gets cloned from the original, For whatever the calling page or thread is, gets cloned an additional time for the next thread. So there's, you know, a separation because all of your variable scopes, your request scopes, or even your local scopes are all part of that page context. But you also have things like the form scope and the page context. Page context and Lucy also uh, wraps the HTTP servlet request, which is where all the, the request body and stuff is. So, yeah, I know, that Lucy had had some overhead issues in the past where if you had a very large incoming request and you spawned a bunch of threads, there was a lot of churn on that. Um, Yeah,
0: and I know a big one a while ago was a file upload. So if you had a file upload and then did some threading um, in the same request, it would spawn the file upload, essentially. Because that was
1: all baked inside of that HTTP request object, which was inside of the page context, and it would kick off the parsing of some of that every time, which was...
0: Yeah, pretty crazy.
1: Where the overhead came in.
0: Yeah, but then... then,
1: what's Sorry. I just want to say, what can make it extra tricky is being able to profile this stuff. I love, 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 love the Fusion Reactor profiler, right? I use it all the stinking time. But as soon as you have a page that fires off, like, a ton of CF threads, which maybe in turn fire more CF threads, um, you start to lose those pretty quick. And Fusion Reactor tries really hard to track that stuff and show it to you. But all of a sudden, you know, what happened over the course of my request is, like, what happened over the course of, like, these 100 threads that were all, like, vaguely related. Um, So it gets tricky to, to profile the performance and you get into threading as well, which is just, you know, it's a complicated area. There's not yeah. good solutions like, to
0: it. Like Ben said, you know, if you want performance, sometimes you got to give up something else and that little <laughs> availability, etc. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so
1: I I love this threading stuff. I've, I've said for a while that I really thought like one of the next, I don't want to call it a frontier because it's so dumb. But one of the things I always thought Fusion developers never really took advantage of is the amazing threading capabilities of the JVM. It's like one of the most awesome things about it. You know, and all we had was this dinky like CF thread tag, you know, and maybe Mark Mandel's little concurrent library he used to have years ago. And it's like we never had like really good threading tools. So yeah. That's why I love this stuff so much, because there's so much power in the JVM that I think Cold Fusion developers oftentimes just don't really tap into.
0: I know. I mean, Ben said that he remembers uh, Mark Escher back in 2010 or 2012. Maybe, talking that, maybe about that's this. who it
1: was, who had the concurrent thing. I just said Mark Mandel, but you're right. It might have been Mark Escher.
0: Yeah, I saw them in the It was the one of those two
1: Marks that had a concurrent library. What was it?
0: It might have been. I mean, because Mark Escher was talking about it all, and Ben said it was over its head at the time. That's why he's playing with this stuff. So... Anyways, while you're looking that up, find that. the next one, um, we're looking at recursive nested CF threads by Ben again. But this time, you going to see if you can get it right of, get around the CF uh, setting, request timeout. It was so, Mark Escher. Okay, cool. So yeah, was right.
1: CF Concurrent was the name of the library, and it was Mark Escher. So. Okay. Apologies, I said the wrong thing.
0: That's okay. Too many good marks out there. <laughs> But, yeah, and so this blog post, um, he was looking at, you know, using the tail recursion, but also to see if the request timeout kicked in. And so uh, we looked at before that if the, the main thread has a request timeout of, like, say, 10 seconds, for example, uh, and the lower ones have a smaller timeout, um, basically, will they affect each other? And so in this one, what he's doing is he's going to start the first request, with a 10 second timeout, then he's gonna start spawning lots of little requests and see if the main page timeout kills the additional threads and the, the threads of threads of threads of threads. So essentially, <laughs> if you look at the cool little animated gif here, you'll see that it starts the thread and then starts spitting them out. Then one gets killed and the sub threads keep spawning. So it keeps it keeps working, even though the, the main one timed out uh, The threads don't time out because they're less than the original 10 seconds, even though each of them spawning another one and spawning another one is taking longer than the original timeout. They can still keep going because their individual ones aren't over that, but collectively they would be.
1: Anytime you're debugging, threading, it's kind of funny watching this animated GIF, you always end up with the console logs because all of a sudden CF dumping to the browser just isn't...
0: (laughs) Isn't work. a
1: a pattern that really works anymore, and you end up in the console, which is not a bad thing.
0: Yep. So but it was like I said, interesting threads, really like it. Uh so thanks Ben for sharing all this stuff.
1: Ben's thread on threads.
0: Yep, exactly. And then we have a, a few from the Cold Fusion portal this week, too. So it looks like some more of the Adobe stuff, and I apologize because I don't recognize the names and don't know how to pronounce them, especially because it only shows the username. I I mean this might be Hanner this eighteen 1809. So they're talking about Azure st- Blob Storage and CF 2021. So if you're interested in that, some good information there. And then nice. we have a few more later, but uh, we did mention James's tweet already about the date inconsistency. So we won't show that one again now because we went over it at the start. But, um, but yeah, it's important. So we got another one from Ben. Let's get back to that and then we'll go back to more adobe uh 2021 stuff so this one followed on from his last week's uh blog fest on the json stuff in my blog, sequel Blogstorm. Blogstorm. sorry
1: we named it I yeah think
0: so. so um so this was interesting so basically exploring type coercion and value comparisons in a json column so, first he starts off by saying, if you have a, a number one and a string one, MySQL, like Fusion likes to try and coerce them. Mm. And um, one thing he mentioned here, which I want to just highlight, is while MySQL happily coerce values on the fly during comparison, this does have implications. The most critical of this is that type coercion will bypass index selection during query planning, which may result in a full mm. table scan. So, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. <laughs> so... Makes so, yeah. sense though.
1: There's a lot of optimization that databases do, which is dependent on knowing the exact data type. And yep. when you might have to go through and, and massage all the values, all of a sudden it's a lot more difficult to optimize that.
0: Yep. So yeah, so this is something to be aware of. So short long story short is here, uh Jason does care more. Um so it's when you, Jason. Or JSON. <laughs> that uh, when you're using MySQL uh, functions for JSON, uh, it does care about the type. So if you have an unquoted versus a non-quoted, it will actually give you different results. So uh, there are a couple of um, hints here. So he uses some extra features. So he sort of walks through it all. Um, but basically you can coerce them yourself, but you have to choose to do so. Um, and then the long story of it is, is is with json columns garbage in garbage out so if you're going to store it as a number store it as a number don't store it as a string you know be careful and obviously if you're changing a struct and call fusion and you know serializing it uh you have to see what that does and then check against that so uh it's just something to be aware of i know a lot of times when you're doing you know serialization it'll like JSON, it'll basically turn everything into a string so just need to be aware of that so yeah so yeah. So
1: you know, I got a, a shirt at a couch one of the first couch based conferences that said Jason across the front of it. And when I was leaving, I had it on in the airport, and the lady at the counter asked me if my name was Jason. And I was like, What? She's like, Your shirt? I'm like, oh no, that's never mind. <laughs> so now whenever I hear Jason, all I can think of is the name Jason.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you did have another site here too, uh, if you if you do unwrap the JSON values to basically take off the quotes, uh, MySQL fall back to coercing on the fly, just like normal. So there's a little shorthand to do it for you too. So, But anyway, so I like his superhero quote "With great flexibility comes great responsibility. <laughs> when you nice. opt out of the strict schema provided by relational database, it means the onus of enforcement falls upon the developer. You now become the one responsible for data integrity. Proceed with caution. So, I think yeah, that's we're why everybody. W-
1: developers, we're used to living on the edge. <laughs> yeah. What are data types anyway? Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of people jumped on that NoSQL train until they realized that. Oh crap! Now it's up to me. And then they came back to relational. That's why I think relational seem to surge back after a while.
1: Yeah, Maybe. the whole and we talked about this before. The whole like everyone's going to throw away their relational database and jump on NoSQL never really happened. Um, Varchar, everything. Um, but I I have enjoyed finding some recent really good uses for for JSON documents and Couchbase. But it's always been a sort of like a denormalized cache of data that's really hot that I'm working with. That's all just a copy of something in SQL Server where, you know, I can pull things out through live and deal with them. So it, it's, it's, it's ended up as like a both side by side where it makes sense. Not throw away your relational databases, use, you know, JSON. Which, and, you know, makes a heck of a lot more sense. I don't think yeah. anybody ever really thought we'd completely throw away relational databases. And I think the people that tried, like NPM, wound up back on a relational database, you know, because they were like, yeah, it kind of works better that way.
0: Yeah, and especially I, like I I like say, like once relational outside. threw in a couple of JSON blob type fields and gave you some functions, <clears throat> a lot of people say, yeah, I guess I don't need to do that much after all.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it is kind of funny how the NoSQL solutions have added in more features from Lights. the relational database world, you know, indexing and and you know tying joining things together, and then the relational world has added in some more JSON support, and they've kind of like moved towards each other a bit.
0: Yeah, be interesting Usually, to see where that ends up. Yeah, natural evolution, right? So
1: I'll, I'll tell my grandkids, you know, back when I was young, you NoSQL and relational were two different servers.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just an FYI, Brad, um, from Charlie to Fusion Rector 8.5 did add support for better direct monitoring of threads, CF3. I saw
1: that. Okay. I just saw that. You monitor. know what they don't have support for is monitoring Couchbase SDK calls. <laughs> I thought of that today while profiling some code. They did uh, add support for monitoring the Elasticsearch client, which that's I was pretty super cool. thankful for. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, let's go jump to a few more of the Call Vision portal blog posts we have an aws s3 storage with uh cold fusion 2021 so this talks a little bit more about you know using that so again these are pretty pretty thorough detailed how's this different
1: from the blob storage one
0: well the blob is actually in the zero so that was a little different this is the amazon s3 so you know it's
1: kind of the same thing it's just this is s3 and the other one was blob storage all right fair enough
0: and we also talk about the iterator support in the callfusion twenty twenty one so I mean I've used iterators before back in the old java days and everything, but that's kind of interesting. I don't know do you think we'll have a a big use of iterators once twenty twenty one is more prevalent?
1: I don't typically use iterators even in java code um, but I think it's kind of powerful in that you know you can take a you can take a Fusion component add some special methods that look sort of Python-y with all the underscores, and yeah. then that sort of, you know, adds a behavior on the fly to be able to iterate over it. Um, I like the idea. I don't know that I typically represent a collection of things inside of a component, but I could totally imagine a scenario in which I would, so. Yeah. Um,
0: well, it's interesting. Again, I, another language support feature that is common in other languages, and...
1: I don't know how I feel about the underscores, but whatever there's not a lot of like reserved method names in coldfusion you have init, which is meaningful you have on missing method which is meaningful now frameworks like Colbox had a bunch of sort of like conventions you know on error prehandler post handler kind of stuff yep. um I know that they're trying to avoid you know overlapping existing method names um but anyway, I don't know it's just the naming but consistency annoys me when it's not there but the the idea I, I, I like um, You know, and one of the examples right here is like a component that returns a query and then, you know, gives you the ability to iterate over it. Um, I'm just trying to check. I was vaguely aware of this, but I haven't really poked at it much. Does this allow um, your CFC to be iterated uh, by Java as well? If I was to call a Java library that expected an iterator?
0: I have no clue. Charlie?
1: (laughs) I, I haven't had a chance to play with this. I know that uh, that Lucy had some support for some uh, iterator kind of stuff as well and components, but as typically happens, I don't think there's a shred of documentation on it. So you'd have to like get lucky and find some posts and discourse where it gotten discussed. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I could uh, especially see this being useful if you had the ability to pass a a Cold Fusion a CFC instance um, to a Java library that anticipated an iterator, but it would actually need to you know implement something most likely but yeah maybe i'll have a chance to play with this because
0: yeah i I mean i would be surprised if that happened but i know they did a lot of work with the java interop but i don't know if the iterator is part of it or not so
1: yeah the java interrupt was good they didn't follow lucy's lead but i didn't necessarily like everything lucy had done and that's all in lucy 6 on release so yeah uh i can't i can't blame adobe for not following something that lucy itself hasn't even really released so
0: yeah but if you are wanting to get up and running with uh, ColdFusion 2021 and you have to do the install instead of using command box, which we try and make it as easy as possible for you. Um, but they have a revamped Fusion install pr- uh, experience. So if you want to look at that, uh, you know, reduce size, reduce startup, reduce memory footprint, you know, they're really done a lot of good work on this here. So the install is down to 149 instead of, you know, 971 meg, uh, they have the, the package manager for getting different uh, pieces of the the main engine. So uh, it's a nice little write up here, talking about all the different pieces and uh, how to install different pieces. So um, yeah, a nice blog post if you guys are wanting to look at that.
1: To be clear, um, you can use Command Box, however, to run Adobe 2021.
0: Yes, you can. But some people can't run Command Box so they want to run it in a traditional format. So.
1: Right, it just sounded like you said that you couldn't use Command Box. Maybe oh, you said saying. if you can't.
0: Yeah, if you can't, or you know, in addition to, or if you don't want to. Yeah.
1: If you can't use Command Box, you should just use it anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, if
1: if if you're working for the government, Command Box is on the DADMS, I think, acronym for the Department of Defense Approved Software List. So Command Box is approved for Department of Defense projects for the U.S. government. Just throwing that out there, if that helps you.
0: Yep, and Charlie wanted to say real quick too that in that blog post it said the G the GUI installer was dropped. It wasn't dropped. It's uh, you can look in the comments and you can find more about it. But the they just changed the install process to make it easier without the GUI, if you'd like to do that. So
1: That's good. I, I like focus on the on the, the non GUI installers for automation. That's a good
0: Yeah, for good sure. Change. But they they left it there for those who need the GUI still. So Okay, another one from Ben talking about uh, some, some extra MySQL features, because they're in the process of migrating to 5.7 for long-term support. And this one was pretty interesting. Uh, I haven't actually done anything with virtual index columns before. And so he was saying, you know, given an example of, you know, you may have something where people has an email address, pretty common problem. And then you may want to do some, some work and his marketing people quite often want to know the domain of a user. And so, you know he talked about how you could do that so he populates some data and then he uses some substring to basically get the email domain out of that and if you're doing the select and you're doing a an count and then you have to group by that to get the count working it works It works pretty good but if you got a big database that can be pretty expensive so what he does is he shows you how to actually uh, alter the table and add a column, a virtual column. So the virtual column is generated based on that substring index. And so you can actually add an index for that. So you've made a virtual column and added a database index based on, you know, huh. like, it's, it's like- It's almost
1: like an indexed view, but you're not creating a view. You're just adding that on the table itself.
0: Yep, and it's on a per row, you know, basis. It's just an extra column. So you can just call that column too. So now huh. if you get email domain, it's available. So it's, it's kind of neat. I mean, it makes me think of, you know, formulas and hibernate and stuff like that, you know, computed type. It's like a computed column, essentially.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking that could be useful. I mean, I was just talking with some client projects about the same sort of idea did t- uh, this week where, you know, we have a table and there's, there's information that comes maybe from that table or from sub tables like, you know, the the total count of uh, of related, you know, uh, relationship. And you kind of, you you de-normalize some number in the top table that is incumbent upon your application to make sure you always recalculate every time the data changes and you update it. Um, This would sort of allow you to do the same thing, but the database itself keeps it up to date. But instead of having like a trigger that captures all the places you need to update, you're just letting the the database do it in the same way that it updates indexes. I kind of like that.
0: And the other thing he did too, is like, uh, since he already has an index, he wanted to compare. So if he wants to use the like, you know, email like, and then the the, the domain name, it, you know, it basically skips the index. You'd, all, you'd pay, basically page all a thousand rows versus if you actually use the virtual column, it only uses the five rows and the explain. Yeah,
1: it. as soon as you do a like and you put that percent sign at the beginning, your indexes typically go out the window. It's gonna have to just scan it all regardless. Yeah. And so he,
0: he could have used the substring index piece there instead of using the like, but as soon as he does that, it's smart enough to go use the virtual column he made. So that's why he have to use the percentage to show the difference. So the, nice. the query optimizers are pretty smart these days. So if there's something you can use, it'll use it. So even if you write something kind of, you know, like you're using the email column, when there is an email domain column, it'll be smart enough to go use the email domain when needed. So. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I hadn't actually messed with him, but now I'm kind of curious what else I can do with him.
1: Yeah, I was completely unaware of this feature. That's pretty cool. This is the kind of stuff I expect, like, SQL Server or Oracle to have, but I don't typically see in MySQL, so... Yeah. And what's crazy is that he's on MySQL 5.7, but the latest version of sequels, or of MySQL is 8, I believe, right?
0: Yep, uh, 5.7 still has long-term support for a while, and that's why they're switching over to that. So, just, But yeah, 8, 8 has some issues. I know <laughs> Luis had some issues trying to get it running. It was some project he was trying to uh, run some MySQL 8 stuff yeah. and had some fun. So I don't know if the, the drivers on it, the new drivers work, but maybe they don't work for certain things. I know we that-
1: said issues getting Hibernate and Lucy to behave with the latest version of the MySQL JDBC drivers. And that's um, because
0: we think the Hibernate version that it was running on doesn't support the new drivers or something well, like yeah, that, right?
1: Lucy is on a really old version of Hibernate, so <laughs> it starts to get a little dicey. How long is that going to
0: keep working? So, yeah. Use quick. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well. Yep. Well we have a couple more um blog posts from the Cold Fusion W portal. Um so the old school switch case is now dynamic. <laughs> How many times has this bitten us?
1: Actually not that often for me, but I mean I'm aware of a limitation.
0: Yeah. So now you can throw in um you know basically expressions, um before it yeah it used to be yeah a lot th- more the function.
1: value of your of your case statements had to just be static values they couldn't be expressions yeah um, so you couldn't
0: be functions or anything either now you can use a function to figure stuff out th-
1: that's nice i'm 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 glad to see these sort of crazy off the wall i mean there's an iffy in here that instantly evaluated you know function expression yeah. um in, in the past, I would have complained that, you know, Adobe only halfway implemented it and they just did, you know, basic variables, but not anything. But they they literally will evaluate any flipping expression, it looks like, which is yeah. fantastic. I love to see that yeah, level of... That, a, I
0: think that is really good because yeah, it's bitten me but, a couple of times where I wanted to have it, you know, look up something, maybe, you know, depending on your permissions, it'll look up something and only make certain case statements available or whatever and just wouldn't exactly. do it. So... It's then- pretty
1: cool. I never understood why that limitation was put in place. My, my guess was always just because like Java had the same limitation, but I don't know if that's really well, true. That's I mean, you probably- would think maybe the compiled bytecode needed to have a limitation, but I mean, a case statement can still probably compile down to just a basic if statement. Yeah. I don't know why that limitation was there, but.
0: Yep. And talking Real about queues, we have another blog post on the Fusion portal. <clears throat> this one's actually part two. So there's another one here previously linked as well. So understanding simple queue service through CFML. And so, or uh, SQS. Yep. SQS service. So if you want to use the simple queue service, Amazon has a good, a good service there. And then this is how the new Adobe ColdFusion, uh, cloud piece ties into it. So,
1: I have yet to use any of the sort of queues as a service. Um, I've worked with a couple clients that moved from like a uh, not rabbit was the other one active MQ to actually, I think it was, I think it was, might've been SQS, but anyway, um, ironically, in some of those instances, they got bit with the the pricing model of the the hosted queue stuff. They love the sort of always on, you know, infrastructure. Uh, But then based on the number of messages they were sending, it actually like added up and got really expensive. Whereas their own little VM running ActiveMQ was like, you know, they could push as many messages as they wanted. It's Um, always a
0: tough battle, right? You know? your own versus a service because yeah the service model the pricing looks good but you don't know what tier you're gonna hit especially with events you know events scare mm-hmm. you when you get some dos or something to DOS attack <laughs> all of a sudden you're sending yeah much something and, crazy
1: and goes in your site and all and of a sudden there's a like, hundred thousand messages and they were all like three cents a piece and you know, you're like ah oh, crap that was a lot of money yeah that's but yeah it's what you well i guess it's what you pay to not have to worry about the server going down you no know? yeah
0: so it stayed up instead and, and you got charged for it instead of going down because of the DDoS.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would have been better if the site had gone offline.
0: Exactly. Anyway, so you have a blog post here, how to override single server rule in command box's new server profiles. You want to tell us about that what? one? That sounds
1: crazy. Um, yeah, I wrote this because it was a, a functionality that I was completely aware of, but it occurred to me that I hadn't documented it and there's probably a little chance of someone just coming across it. Um, so, Commandbox 5.2 has a whole new server profile feature, which is like development and production are the two main profiles right now. And it defaults to production. So, Commandbox 5.2 is secure by default. It will block your web administrator by default, which could be annoying, but you can turn it off. It will block access to like server.json, box.json, any files starting with a period. There's all this crap that we block uh, by default now. Um, and so, there's some individual sort of high level settings you can turn on and off like, you know, okay, open up the administrator, or okay, stop blocking all the sensitive files. Um, but I had a client who had a, a need where they're like, well, I, I want you to blocking all the secure stuff, but there was just one path required for RDS to work for Adobe Fusion that they wanted to just open just that one back up. Um, and so this blog post basically just kind of shows um, how you can create a single rule in your server.json that will sort of override just one part of the rule. And it all boils down to the fact that the rules are executed in order. So your custom rules go first and then all the kind of baked in command box rules execute last. So if there's one path you want to open back up, you can leave the generic settings turned on, block all the stuff that, you know, flash remote and all that nonsense. And then you can just add one single rule at the top that executes first that says, yeah, this path right here is okay." So um, if you find yourself thinking, uh, you know, Command Box is blocking just one thing that I don't want it to. This is your answer on how to do it. And I also had a little note on here in debugging server rules. Um, I regularly run across people that I know have been using Command Box for years that don't know how to start a server with a debug flag or the console flag, which is like should be your go to solution when a server isn't working. So I also have a little thing in there that says Want to know if your if your server you know profiles are working and why your request is being blocked? Start it with the trace flag and the console flag; all will be made clear unto you.
0: Hmm. For sure. Okay. So our last blog of the week we had quite a few this week was the one from Jason Steinhauser, Steinhauer Steinhauer um, Steinhauer. C F M L development of GitHub Code Spaces, which we talked about earlier, so we won't go over that one. So let's jump into the CFML jobs. So getcfmljobs.com has one new post this week looking for a full-time Cold Fusion developer in St. Louis. St. Louis. Yep. And so that's one, one job there. And there's uh, a lot of jobs lately. So there's over 56 this half year, but since July 1st, a whole lot of November and December. So if you go to getcfmljobs.com, Cold you com, Cold Fusion Eleven. If you interview
1: a- for these people... You better have some some strongly worded questions about why they can explain to you why they're still on ColdFusion Fusion Eleven. Yeah, rake them over the coals, <laughs> people. You is know, it I might way- apply to this just so I can lecture them. The fact that they're on
0: why they're unsupported. Eleven isn't unsupported starting February or something, or is it already unsupported? ColdFusion Eleven's
1: been out of support for like a couple like centuries now.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you'd say why, you why are you have still have six running it unsupported? Years of
1: experience. Be like, you know what people with six plus years of experience use? A freaking supported version of Cold Fusion. That's what they use. <laughs> but maybe they're hiring you to upgrade this stuff. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope that'll be your job.
0: Yep, Otherwise, <laughs> you'll probably make it your job. Especially if Brad's your coach here.
1: Scott says they're only using that because they couldn't find a license for CF9. Probably. It's possible.
0: <laughs> yep. Okay. And then, obviously, uh, just a reminder, autosolutions.com slash about us slash careers. We have a. Uh, an ongoing position there. Uh, So we're still looking for a couple more team members. Uh, We're doing a lot of work coming in. Hopefully we can uh, expand our team some more. So fill out an application there and Mm -hmm. maybe you can be the new oldest team member.
1: Quirky personality and an affinity for weird Slack memes is a must.
0: Oh no, sorry. U.S. Time zone is a must. My bad. I read that wrong. (laughs) Okay. Forgebox module of the week, this week, we're gonna be looking at one that I thought we'd covered. And so when someone brought it up, I'm like, oh, we've already we done that one. We haven't covered this? No, yeah, I, I, I was surprised. because we We've got, this a lot. We got a bazillion of them in our list and we haven't covered it yet. So this one is the Cobox Paginator.
1: By this, Senor Javier Quintero.
0: Yep, we've used this one on quite a few projects. It builds a pagination struct for API responses and custom data tables. Uh, it's got a few. I remember few the first methods. time
1: I wrote my uh, my first pagination logic. You got to sit there and you're, you you got always like off by one errors. Don't do that. Just use this library.
0: Yep. Drop it in. Oh. We, we were originally using uh, Hibernate for some stuff, <laughs> and it does some of the the work for you. Um, not all of it, but some of it. So, but this one here, we have it. So we have a generate function that'll generate the pagination struct. Uh, using total records, the page and uh, max rows. You can also generate with results. And so this actually will give you the results and you can actually generate a result map too. So if you want a result map, uh, you can turn that on true or false, and you can also give it a name for the, the key as well. So pretty nice there. And there's also simple results. So you can see if there has more uh, an offset in the page count and you can generate with the results. There's also a reduce and generate method and there's also a get page offset, yep. so some little helpers but, in there. But I'm
1: pretty t- certain we use this in Forgebox. I know we do. Yeah, we do, and we use it in so several clients. How meta is that that the paginate module is being used to show you the paginate module on Forgebox? <laughs> My head Mind just exploded, blowing.
0: But yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a great module. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, like I said, we use a lot for our API stuff as well, uh, but you can just use it inside your, your normal site too. So that's our Forgebox module of the week. And another one I thought we surely must have covered already, but I don't care, but uh, VS Code Hint Tip and Trick of the Week. This week is ESLint. It
1: lints your S.
0: Yes. <laughs> no, but it uh, statically analyzes your code to quickly find problems that built into most text editors and you know, you can use it in your pipeline integration. One thing I do like about it is a lot of the things it finds, it can fix. Um, So it's kind of nice. And having this built in, you know, it shows you all the the common, all the issues that you have. And the good thing about ESLint is you can customize it too. So you can write your own custom passes or write your own rules. So that way you have your own rules. That's interesting. And so similar to um, a lot of the rules we have for, you know, formatting and uh, the CF Lint the es lint allows to do the same thing but again a lot of the, the benefit of using these types of things is using conventions so other people have similar conventions and this way at least your project will will match up so I uh, this uh, may
1: be a stupid question but does the es stand for ECMA script
0: yeah I believe so all right so it's not stupid um, I had to guess but I, I'm pretty sure that's what it does stand for so, again, nice. it has a, a lot of documentation, release notes, um, but it's it's a pretty good system, and if you want to find out more about ESLint, you can go to eslint.org. Nice.
1: Their builds use Azure Pipelines per little badge on their listing. That's kind of cool. It's the first time I've seen an Azure Pipelines badge on a project.
0: Yeah, I haven't nice. seen one ever. Well,
1: public Pipeline.
0: Yep. So, it's a pretty good uh, tool, and I think it's gain more popularity. There was different linting tools, but it seems to be the, you know, the biggest JavaScript one out there these days, so. So that's uh, a good one. Again, I thought we already had that in the list, but it was not. And then finally, Patreon supporters. So, again, thanks again to John Wilson, who we've been just saying some tricks for, for months, but I thought, who is that? <laughs> so, it's actually John who Wilson. Who the
1: heck do so they think they... Oh, it's John Wilson. We'll,
0: we'll put his name on it. So, yeah, so he's been supporting us, um, you know, and he just upped his support. So, I think he... Went up another level in his Patreon support, and that tipped us over that 60% mark. So, thank you, John. Uh, I appreciate it. And, you know, we want to thank everybody f- that goes above and beyond and, you know, using their hard earned dollars to support us on Patreon. If you go to slash order solutions, you can find out more about our packages. Um, and so, we have a few different packages to pick from. And if you don't believe me on how much percent or how many people, it says right I here. I don't believe you. So we have a little goals at the bottom here. So Okay, I believe you now. You sure showed me. Yep. So
1: We Gavin, we need to have we need to have like something that we promise is gonna happen when we hit a hundred percent. Like I get to throw like a cream pie in your face live on <laughs> the air, which is gonna be really easy since you're so close to me. <laughs> I don't know. I think we need a something to sweeten the deal here. What what's gonna happen?
0: Well, what embarrassing
1: know. thing we're going to make Luis do live on on a stream why don't we, we ask our chat funding.
0: chat what should we do when we hit 100 <laughs> percent?
1: let the community decide no the only people <laughs> who get to vote are people who are patreon supporters
0: oh good point yeah you want know, well,
1: you want to have a say well, well sign up a patreon and you can tell us what you think well we the funny
0: do. thing is a lot of the people in our chat the uh, people that are on that list there so majority of our listeners the noisy ones at least right patrick Clint, scott you know matthew, Charlie, we, matthew Clemente.
1: we seriously discussed having a band comprised of like oris employees at uh at end of the box um question of course, Into the box ended up not having last year but i do play trumpets so i mean that's part of a mariachi band it's
0: yeah we got the singer down because likes to
1: Oh, we we bit. if you've been to an end of the box, you've heard Jorge belt out whatever those Spanish songs are that apparently everyone knows when they grow up in El Salvador. I mean, he he really. I don't know if it's the, if it's the beer talking or if that's just him, but we we know that Jorge can can hold the tune, so no one's worried about that.
0: Yeah, happy box, is uh, <laughs> pretty good. But we thought about yeah trying to spice it up a little more. We got a lot of a lot of the members of the oldest team can play an instrument, so. Not all mariachi instruments, I must say. But anyway, so let me roll through these names and thank you everybody for for being our Patreon supporters and getting us over that sixty percent, another forty percent till Brad does something crazy. Mm. Uh, so thank you, Benedel, <laughs> Brett Deline, Carvin Staten, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Ballinger, Tadielis Nicky, Don Bellamy, Edgardo Caberas, Caberas, uh, Caberas. See close. It's head.
1: Yeah. It's head in Spanish. Cabezas.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Jim Carlo Gomez, Jan Yanek, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Joseph Erickson, oh, sorry, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamory, Kai Koenig, Laxman Tidra Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, John Wilson, Synaptrix, <laughs> Yogesh Mishir, Matthew. So you can
1: say Laxma's last name. That one That one eats my lunch every time. Well,
0: I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I can say it. <laughs> Teacher Hardy. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I don't know if it's <laughs> Having right. your
1: name butchered on the podcast is one of the many benefits you pay for as a Patreon supporter.
0: Yep. We even got a few videos when we first started with people saying, no, that's not how you say my name. You say it this way. <laughs> so if 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 we're really wrong send us a video we might update it if you sign
1: up for patreon we'll pronounce your name however you want
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe even the right way (laughs) (laughs) maybe okay well remember our special episode episode 84 next week our christmas episode has a special mystery guest
1: (laughs) special mystery guest we're not telling you who it is yet wait 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 is
0: it me no I think oh. I think even better second special thing is Brad won't be here.
1: <laughs> yeah. That should be enough to to tune in.
0: So Brad won't be here. I won't be here. Eric's gonna be hosting a special guest, so tune in and find out who. Eh, maybe we'll give some hints on Twitter later. You'll never. You know I guess you have to wait and see. But anyway, you guys have a great week and uh Eric and the Mr. Guest will see you next week. Happy holidays. Bye guys. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.